0: Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. three weeks ago we had the privilege of hearing from my good friend and fellow pastor in the network Sean Nolan and he preached and ended Matthew chapter 20 for us I'm grateful I didn't make mention of this maybe I did but so Sean was he had a conference he was attending in Memphis and when he figured out the dates for that conference several months prior he called me and he said hey I know I'm from Auburn, New York and I don't really know the layout of the land, but isn't Nashville close to Memphis? And I was like, Yeah, fairly. And so he said, What if I fly into Memphis, hang out with you guys, and then I'll or fly into Nashville, hang out with you guys, and then I'll drive to Memphis? I said, really? he was like, Really? He's like, Yeah, well, how often do I get to be in that area? So that's how he got here. And so he was like, and then a couple of days later he's like, Well I mean, I don't want to like assert myself. He's like, but would it bless you if I preached that Sunday? I was like, absolutely it would. And so I'm grateful that he came. And then two weeks ago, we got to hear uh, from JJ and Ashley Benson about God's faithfulness and how he guided them and, and how he cared for them. Uh, I'm grateful for your willingness to, to share and to open yourselves up that, like you did last week and how um, just you were able to show how God was present with you through the care of the body. Now, I know they expressed it during that time two weeks ago, but I want to say this publicly to you as well. Not just with them, but you, you guys put yourself on display, but you do this so well. Thank you for being the church. Thank you, Antioch, for how you care for those who are walking through difficult times. You always show up. Anytime there is a need, you fill it. Anytime there's a question of, of, well, would someone need resources or would someone uh, need food or meals or anything, you always step up. And it's an honor to stand as your pastor and watch you be the body of Christ. And I just want to say publicly to you, thank you for exhibiting that, for showing that it has a lasting effect. And then last week. We all cozied up around the fire, sat at home, didn't come out, but we we were able to kind of share with one another in the little video devotional that I posted. And so I I am, I am grateful to be back here standing. If someone would have told me, hey, your transition to full-time ministry means you're not going to preach for three weeks when you start, I would have been like, you're crazy. And I've already said to myself, and I'll say it to you because I haven't preached in three weeks, I promise we're not going to go an hour and a half, all right? I know I got a lot, but uh, I'll keep us, keep us on time. But, I mean, I, I'm excited to be back here um, in the pulpit. And so we're going to pause again and not pick up Matthew until next week. And so what I want us to do today is I kind of want to give you just a little insight as to what the Lord has been dealing with me and how he's been showing me himself through Isaiah chapter 40. That's what we're going to look at today, and when uh, I did, I had Brian scheduled to read scripture and then Brian had to work, and so I called Brett. He lovingly said, hey, a couple weeks ago, I'd love to be a part of the the reading team of however you can use me, and so when I texted him this week, I was like, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw you to the dog. first week, you get the whole chapter of Isaiah 40, but you hit it, man. I appreciate that. But I wanted us to see that chapter as a whole, because it speaks so well of how the Lord um, just has been directing me and how I feel like he's speaking directly to our church through that passage. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we enter into our text, as we do, we're going to take a moment of silence just to ready our hearts to receive from him. And we do this each time just to quiet our minds. We ask the spirit of God to give us ears to hear. We ask him to transform our hearts, to renew our minds. And so in just a moment, we're gonna take just a moment of silence. And if during that moment, it, it it's, it's, can be a daunting time if you're not accustomed to just sitting still and quiet. So if you find your thoughts racing, if you find still your mind just sort of wandering, that, that's normal, that's okay. What I would ask you to do is just sort of pray to yourself, Spirit of God, open my eyes and give me ears to hear. So let's do that this morning. amen. For those of you who have been attending Antioch, maybe at least from January, but even maybe years before, you may know this. For those who are guests this morning, what we do every year at the beginning of the year is I ask our congregation, I ask our church to spend the first week of the year to fast and pray. And that looks different for everybody. Some people are able to fast meals. Some people are able not to. But I at least ask every one of us to consider fasting and praying during that first week of the year. Now fasting is a spiritual discipline that is widely encouraged throughout scripture and it's a practice that that we have participated in for several years now. But along with the practice of prayer and fasting, personally I try when possible to sort of couple that time with solitude and silence. Solitude and silence are also spiritual disciplines that we see. Jesus, many times, would try to get away alone with the Father. He would spend time praying. He would spend time with him. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. We see him going up on the mountain to spend time with God alone. And I'll be honest, in the past years, it's been difficult to try to fit that in while still having to kind of work with the fence company, Uh, but this year was different. This year was a new year for us as a church and for me, and so I was really able to get away and to spend some time in solitude and silence and prayer and fasting with the Lord. And, And for some people, it looks different. For some pastors, it may, their setting that they are fitting themselves into may look different. But for me, my best communion, the best time that I spend with the Lord is when I'm in the woods. And so I would go hiking, I would find a spot in the middle of nowhere and just sit. And so thanks to some Airbnb gift cards that I had won in the previous year, I found this tiny little cabin outside of Carbondale, Illinois. Anybody ever been to Carbondale? Okay, all right. So Carbondale, and the reason we picked that is because we dropped the kids off at my grandparents. And I drew a two hour circle around their house and said, okay, where could I go? And this little cabin popped up. It was in the middle of a farm. Um, It was just tucked away in the back of the woods. And I spent three days there, just completely cut off, trying to stay away, trying to just spend time in solitude and reading scripture. And so the first day, I found this state park that was fairly near. And I hiked into the woods and I found this spot and i climbed up the side of the rock there and i sat just right there on the side of that cliff all day and i just enjoyed nothing but just me and my bible and the lord and i prayed and i spent time just in silence And so as I was sort of looking through this, I didn't really come with a passage of Scripture ready. So I was kind of reading in my Bible uh, just different passages of Scripture. And it came, as I was going, I was reading a little bit in Isaiah, but I kind of sort of landed on Isaiah chapter 40. Now you guys have seen me with this thing. This is my preaching Bible. This is big. I don't really do a lot of writing in this because I want it to be clean and clear. Um, This is not friendly when you're hiking. It's heavy. And so this is the Bible that I use when I'm hiking. So I'm going to preach out of this today. But as I was I mean, I've had this thing for a long time. This is the one I can really tear up and get going, but it just happened to be where I was passing through, looking at different scriptures, and Isaiah chapter 40 lands right on the edge of that left page. And I started looking at the words, and I started remembering that we had just weeks before been listening to Handel's Messiah. I don't know if anybody of you do that during Christmas. We always at some point find a time to listen to Handel's Messiah. And then that's the beginning of chapter 40. Those are the words that Handel put to music. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And so it was sort of like this, like, oh, cool, we just got out of Christmas. And here we are the first week of the year. I'm going to just read this. And I just kept reading. And I believe that. The Lord used this passage not only just to encourage me, but I believe he showed me some things in this for us as Antioch First Baptist for 2024. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Chapter 40 of Isaiah is a pivotal chapter. not, Not only in the book of Isaiah, but also in all of Scripture. If you sort of study the book of Isaiah, in chapters 1 through 39, you'll see Isaiah is writing specifically to what's happening in front of him, meaning he's writing about what's happening to the generation that he is seeing play out right in his time. But chapter 40 is different. Chapter 40, Isaiah begins to tell of what is to come. He's no longer talking about what is happening in front of him. He starts talking about what is to come. It is truly prophetic. And it is truly discussing what Isaiah is being told by the Spirit is coming in the future. And so that's how we're going to read this in this way. And not only is chapter 40 important within the context of Isaiah, it's also important within the context of the canon as a whole. And so there are many scholars who will call Isaiah 40 as a turning point book within the Old Testament that shifts the focus fully on Jesus. There's a pastor here in town. His name is Ray Ortland. He wrote a commentary specifically on the book of Isaiah. And he says that uh, that Isaiah chapter 40 is one of the most crucial chapters, not only in all of the Old Testament, but in all of the Bible. And as we heard, it begins with verses 1 through 5, telling of all things that are going to be made new. It says, there is coming a day when all evils of the world will be made new right. Look at verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. These words are not talking about topography. Yes, he's using them in that way, but his subject matter is not that the hills are actually physically going to flatten. What he's talking about here is that the destruction of sin that has caused all of these breaks in the creation of the world, that the Messiah will come and he will make them new again. He will make them right. That's why he says every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground will become level. Sin no longer will fully affect creation. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. Look at verse 6. Here's what he says. A voice says, cry. And I said, well, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. In verse six here, he's comparing flesh, meaning humanity to grass. He says, All flesh is grass. So all humanity is grass. And it says the goodness, all the goodness that even the humanity can bring is like the flower of the field. Well, what happens to the grass and the flower of the field? He shows us in verse seven. The grass withers, the flower fades away. Where the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. See, this is the first place that I want us to really stop, and I feel like the the Lord specifically gave me comfort in this. You see, with, with humanity being compared to grass and flowers being compared to the goodness of humanity, what it shows us is that God is not limited by our weakness. Humanity will pass away, the grass fades, the flower withers, but our God is not limited to our weakness. In other words, it's not about what you and I can do, it's about what God will do. So here's how the Lord spoke this to me directly. He said, the success of your ministry, the success of your church, is not dependent on your own strength. It's not dependent on our strength as human beings. We'll say this, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Right? I think so many times... We think it's up to us and our power and our strength. What are we going to be able to do? Yes, the Lord uses us, but what is he going to do? Beside our weakness. Beside what we cannot do. Look at verse 8. It says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but what? The word of our God stands forever. People will come, people will go. Our efforts will fall short, but we do not rely on our own efforts. We rely on the steadfastness of the Word of God, and it is His power that will accomplish what He said He would do. This should offer us peace. It should offer you peace. It offers me peace. Because when I feel like the continued growth of our church rests solely on my shoulders as the pastor, I need to remember the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord is what stands forever. And see, here I stand before you as a congregation, and so easily Satan will trick me into trying to have me carry the load along. If our church is going to continue to grow, it's up to me. I take that on so easily as a lie of Satan. If we're going to truly keep growing in the knowledge and love of Jesus, then it's up to me to carry it on my shoulders that's just not true and if you're placing your faith and hope and trust in my ability let me tell you the first one you're going to be disappointed the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of the lord is what stands forever Now, it means that we are still called to lead. I'm still called to lead you. I am and and will promise to give you everything I have to see it through. But the continued growth of our church does not teeter in the balance based on my efforts. And I have to remember that for me. And in the same way for you, you have been called, we say it every single week, to go to your neighbors and the nations. You have been called to come alongside and do the work of the ministry together, but the continued growth of our church does not rely on your efforts. It's not solely up to you. You're going to walk away knowing this verse, but the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, again, this doesn't mean we get to just sit back on our heels and not do anything. He has called us to work. He has called us to do the work of the ministry. But what that verse and what that understanding should do, if anything, it should cause us to be able to say, I can step up and jump in even more. I can work as hard as I possibly can to see that the church continues to grow. And the reason that we can faithfully jump in is because we don't have to be afraid that if we fail, it depends on us. We can know that it depends on him. So many times we fail or we are afraid to enter in into doing something because we think, Well, if I do that, I I won't do it good enough. Or do I really have anything to offer? And so what we think is rather than sort of jumping in and saying, yes, I will jump in and help, what we do is we sort of stand back and we think, I'd rather not fail. If I get in the mix of that, I'm going to make things worse. But that's not what Jesus wants. That's not what God is calling us as a church to do. He's saying I have called you to do the work of the ministry. And we know this according to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Paul is sort of laying out the church specifically, and he gives them instructions. He said, hey, I gave the apostles, and I gave some prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. What did he do? He gave them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gave them to equip the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. So he is clearly giving us a calling to action. But the care in that and the peace in that is to knowing that it all doesn't rest on us. Yes, he's called us to do the work of the ministry, but we can enter into that work knowing that he is faithful. And it's not solely up to us. So as we as a church enter into 2024, what I want you to do is I want you to commit that you will step up. I want you to commit that you will step up in ways like you've never stepped up before. To come alongside your brothers and sisters and do the work of the ministry with the comfort of knowing that the results are held in his hands, not in ours. And as we keep reading, verse 9 sort of speaks to the second part of our calling. It says, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and do what? Fear not. And he says, say to the cities of Judah, behold, Your God. He is telling Zion. He is telling Jerusalem. He is telling the church go to a high mountain, proclaim the good news of the gospel. Shout it out. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. That is a calling for us to go to our neighbors and the nations. To herald means to proclaim, to shout, to tell. Of the good news. Here is your God. And look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is where? With us? Uh-uh. With him. And his recompense is before him. Again, we don't go in our own power. We go in the strength of the Lord, knowing that it is his power that establishes his rule among the nations. We are called to go and proclaim that he is and he will fulfill the promise of establishing his rule and his word on the earth. I know sometimes it may feel scary, and you may go, well, what does it even mean to go to your neighbors and the nations. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to fulfill that calling? Don't you understand that we're walking into a hostile environment? Why and how do we go? Well, he tells us in verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He's not sending us out alone. It's not just up to us to figure it out on our own. He is caring for us. He is our protector. He carries us in his arms. It says it puts us in the fold of his garment, and he leads us. Maybe you remember this, as a little kid. It's not always the same for everyone, but one of the safest places you felt was in your parents' arms. Do you remember as a child when the thunder got loud and the storms started rolling? Where did you want to be? Did you stay in your bed alone? No. You ran to mom and dad's bed, didn't you? Please, and you begged them. If you're like our house, you have to beg to get in our bed. I know some of you all operate differently, but they had to beg. They had to give the code, but we let them in. Why? Because when they're scared, when they're afraid that they're alone, when they're afraid that they're doing it all on their own, that they have to weather the storm all alone, where do they feel the safest and securest? Within the fold of mom and dad. So it is with our Heavenly Father we can be uh, secured in the fact that he has us in his hands. We can know that he is caring for us, that he is protecting us, that he wraps his garment around us and he protects us and we are safe. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't cause us or ask us to step out on what seems to be thin ice. It doesn't mean that he won't ask us to not take a step of faith and trusting in him, but what it does remind us is that even when we have to feel like we're stepping out in faith, he's still with us. He still has us. He still cares for us. Now I went ahead and had Brett read the whole chapter, and here's why. Because verses 12 through 26 are essentially describing to us how great our Creator is and how much power that He holds. Again, if you're following along on the, the Bible reading plan that we're participating in, we've been reading in Genesis to begin with, but did you notice that a few week, or a few days in, where did we jump over to? We jump over to Job. And what do we start seeing in Job? We start seeing this conversation between Job and God then God explaining to him how he is the great creator and how could any of his creation have anything to say to him because he is the one who formed all of those things. And that's what we see happening here basically in verses 12 through 26. It sort of reminded me of that conversation between Job and God. These verses are telling us of the power of our creator. Verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens? with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighted the mountains in scales with the hills in balance. Look at verse 15 through 17, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust, and Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When you go back and read those verses, and you start picturing God... Holding the mountains and the hills in his hand as a scale, you begin to see a picture of the vastness and the greatness of our creator. And then we get to verse 27 verses 27 through 31, In these final words, what he does is he encourages us to trust in his timing and, again, in his strength. Let's read them together, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. As I was reading these verses in my time alone, here's what I felt the Lord saying to me as your pastor, but also for us as a church. He said, the Lord will strengthen us for the journey ahead. He knows the plans for Antioch that he has, and he will give us the strength to get where he has planned for us to go. He is not expecting me to muster up my own strength. He's not expecting you to muster up your own strength. He is calling on all of us to rely on his strength. But again, we often forget that. We often feel like it's all up to us. And that's why he put verse 28 in there. Lift up your eyes. Don't look at yourself. Lift up your eyes. Verse 28 Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He is understanding, He is unsearchable. It's easy to look around and think, how's He going to do this? It's easy to look around and think, how is he going to continue to grow our church? There's only a handful of us here right now. How are we going to be able to do this? Or or maybe this, maybe you think you've reached an age where you no longer are able to do the work of the ministry. Maybe you feel like your physical limitations or your age would preclude you or not be able to include you in doing the work of the ministry. Again, I'm going to point you back to our readings that we've been doing in our Bible plan in the book of Genesis. What did we just a few weeks, I think it was a few days ago, see God do with Abraham and Sarah? He was speaking directly to their age, wasn't he? He said, You're gonna have a child, Isaac. And both of them looked and said, God, I think you you got the wrong address. <laughs> do, you, do you see? Sarah said, Do you see my womb? Do you see my age? Is it possible? No, it's not even it's not even possible. And so God tells Sarah again, hey, I'm going to give you a child. And then second time, what does she do in response? She laughs. There's no way you can use me, God. There's no way you can fulfill even what I know you've said you would do. There's no way that you can get past my weakness in my body to make me produce a child. We have Isaac. Because of Sarah's strength? No. Because of her physical ability? No because of God's calling and command to fulfill what he said he would do even through her at the age that she was. She had a child. So don't sit there and go, yeah, but I really can't. No. Maybe you can't how you used to, but as long as there's so breath in your lungs, God has given you a calling to keep you on this earth to do the work of his ministry. No one is outside of those bounds verse 29 and 30 he gives power to the faint to him who has no might he increases strength maybe you just need to start reading those two verses or that verse every morning when you get up when you feel like i got nothing left why do you still have me here we'll read that He gives power to the faint, and to him who feels like they have no might. And not only do they feel like they have no might, he even says they don't have any might. So to him who has no might, what does he do? He gives you strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall still fall exhausted. So don't don't look around and go, yeah... I'm past the age of helping. No, he's even saying, like, even the young guys are going to wear out. Even the youths are going to fall weary. And when you look at those last couple verses, and we've spoken about this before this idea of waiting. We are a people who want it now. And we're a people who get it now, right? We, we've made this correlation before. I can order anything on Amazon, and pretty much within the hour, have it at my doorstep. We don't like to wait. We we don't like to be told not yet. This idea of waiting has become foreign to us. And hear me out, I would love nothing more than to see God just start showing us more and more people to come to know him, to show more and more people to come and be a part of this ministry. And if he chooses to do that now, praise God. But if he chooses to wait and not let us see it immediately, our answer must be the same. Praise God. That's why Paul said, in all things I can give thanks. I can do all things through Christ. That's not a a power of verse. That's realizing that in weakness and in strength, no matter my lot, he's taught me to say it's well with my soul. Maybe it could be that we need a little bit more preparation. Maybe it it could be that we need to continue to walk in unity with the people that he has in our body right now. Maybe it could be that there are some relational things that need to get worked out first. Maybe it could be that there are hidden divisions that need to be brought to light so we can repent and walk in love with one another. Whatever it is, whatever it is, may we trust him as we continue to ask him to show us continued growth within our church and listen here's what he told us here's where he told us to put it, put our trust not in our programs not in our attractiveness not in our social media numbers he said only trust in his goodness and his timing And we can do this because of what he said in that final verse in verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's what he wants us to rely on as a church. That's how we are going to continue to walk faithfully in twenty twenty four for together. Knowing that it is his strength where we put our trust. Not in ourselves. It's easy to lose sight of this. It's easy to become focused only on what we can see right now. And then forget what he's promised. Forget what he has for us. J.J., Ryman, you guys can come on up. And because we need to be reminded often, because we can so easily forget, this is why I've asked that we as a church partake in communion every week. I know this is a different pattern, than than what we most are accustomed to, but I think it's important for us as a body to be brought back to the table each week we gather. I've had some questions. Some have asked, well, is this a good thing that we would partake in communion each week? And I've welcomed those questions. I've had some great conversations over the last week, and so here's what I want to do for that. Over the next few weeks, before we partake in a communion, I'm, I'm going to answer maybe a question that you have. If, if I'd not answered one of the questions you may have about why we as a church would take communion every week, please come and ask. I would love to have that conversation with you. But I want to sort of just, as we prepare, just sort of answer some questions as to why maybe I feel like as a pastor that we should come to the table each week. Now, here, I want to start here. It's not clearly directed in Scripture of when you should take communion. What do I mean by that? There is not a direct command that says do it weekly, do it quarterly, do it monthly. So other churches may have different practices, and because we choose to do it a different way doesn't mean that we think they're wrong or in sin. But here's where I think Scripture lends us to a weekly pattern of taking communion, specifically in the early church in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42... This is talking about, if you look at the heading in your Bible, it says, the fellowship of the believers. He's given instructions to the church. He said, hey, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. When you hear that breaking of bread, it might be easy to simply think, well, that just means they're supposed to eat together. And we've done that well. But what actually he's talking about is their worship services. He's giving instructions on when they gather. And so many scholars believe that that breaking of bread is directly referring to communion at the Lord's table. You can see the same reference in Acts chapter 20. And then when you look at 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, you see Paul's specific instructions on how to take the Lord's supper. And again, we're going to get to those in the coming weeks as we continue to add um, instruction to our taking of communion. But this new rhythm... Of taking communion each week, I wanted to first point out that's where we begin. We see the early church gathering together. We see them praying. We see them um, entering in to fellowship together, and we do all of those things. We teach. So we're going to add in as we see them doing the breaking of bread together. And so this morning we come to the table with elements of bread and the body that was broken for us will come with a cup representing the blood that was spilt.